have an enormous problem. In fact, it is the enormous problem uh, that has as its ultimate outcome the um, just sentencing of most of mankind to an eternity of punishment, the wrath of God. That problem is we love our sin hardwired into us as descendants of Adam from the beginning of who we are is a love for our sin. The result of that at its most catastrophic is isolation and separation from God with horrific eternal consequences. Another result is a tendency toward isolation and separation from one another because sin does that. And because of his amazing love for us and his kindness toward us, the living God has made a way. The Lord of all, of whom we just sang, has paid a price on the cross by substituting in the place we deserve and bearing the wrath of God on our behalf, he has opened the door that we may repent. And his kindness toward us is, is designed to draw us toward repentance. Romans 2, verses 4 and 5, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's Kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your heart and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That's Romans 2, 4 and 5. This call to repentance, this centrality of repentance forms the heart of the New Testament's invitation to be a follower of Christ. The message of, of John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verse 2, before the earthly ministry of Jesus even began, before Jesus' public ministry even began, John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Jesus began his public ministry, in Matthew 4, 17, he repeats the very same challenge, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Later in Luke 5, 32, Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Luke 15, 10, Jesus said, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. On the day the church was born, the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2.38, as the apostle Peter is winding down the great Pentecost sermon, his, his concluding exclamation point begins, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Then years later, in his missionary travels, in his visit to the city of Athens, in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, Paul says to the philosophers of Athens, God commands all people everywhere to repent. We don't want to. Because at its heart, repentance is when we release our love for our sin and have a change of mind to respond to the kindness and love of Jesus. And for the unbeliever, that is the urgent one-time imperative. Repent, hate your sin, and trust Jesus that the work that he has done has paid the price. And follow him as your Lord. If you're here this morning and you are outside of Christ, if you've never turned from your sin, our, our society, our culture is increasingly enamored with either therapeutic solutions that, that pat your sin on the hand and say, you poor baby, it's not your fault. Come up with some sort of artificially contrived coping mechanisms and move forward in your sin. Just more thoroughly learn to sear your conscience and the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. For heaven's sakes, ignore the Bible. That you'll be at peace with your sin. Or worse, that things the Word of God calls sin are not sin at all. And they call that love. No act that burns down the bridge of repentance is loving. It is loving to call repenters, I mean sinners, to repentance. <laughs> the passage before us this last paragraph of 2 Corinthians 7 looks hard at repentance. In fact, I've put this in your notes under Roman numeral one. Um, Bible teacher, author, I would, I would argue perhaps one of our greatest living Bible teachers, Dr. John MacArthur, has called this paragraph the clearest definition of repentance found anywhere in Scripture. Now, that's a, that's a moment to perk up. Because if repentance is so central to the, to the New Testament's call to know God, if repentance is that central uh, a spine, and I hope I've established that it is, and this paragraph is the paragraph that deals most exhaustively with that, this is an extraordinarily strategic paragraph. Paul had written a letter to the church at Corinth after 1 Corinthians, before 2 Corinthians, which is the text at hand. There is an intermediate letter which God the Holy Spirit did not preserve for us as part of our Bible. He had sent that letter to Corinth in the hands of his disciple Titus, and the letter apparently was a little pointed. The letter, the letter um, name names. 
and got right down to some things that needed fixing in the church at Corinth. And it was not a pleasant letter to write and it was not a pleasant letter to read. And as the church at Corinth and those in it were confronted about their sin, they came to that same crossroads. Shall we deceive? Shall we defend? Shall we be stubborn? Or shall we repent? Glory to God, they repented and sent word of their repentance back to Paul, again in the hands of Titus. And so we come now to this paragraph. Paul has just commented that the letter that they received caused them to grieve, but to grieve in a healthy way such that they repented. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. For godly grief, that is, when we see Jesus' truth because of his kindness, and there is godly grief, it produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in this matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. Besides our own comfort, and we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, it was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Let's look through this paragraph now, first Roman 1 at the anatomy of real repentance. If we, if we sort of open the hood on repentance and look at the component parts, look at what real repentance is, I believe that we see these things. You see, there is a legitimate concern that we, we reduce repentance to just a mind game. We talk a lot about, about biblical faith. Biblical belief. Biblical faith and biblical belief are not just making a list of facts that I accept to be true and checking off that list. Biblical faith and biblical belief is hurling oneself in trust on the character and love of Jesus Christ such that there is no safety net. If Jesus fails me, I have no backup. He is to be trusted entirely in obedience and in passionate following. That is biblical belief. Not just, okay, I get it. Jesus was this, 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 this. I can hold the facts at a safe arm's length and that's not biblical belief. Likewise, repentance. At its, at its um, linguistic heart, 
The simplest definition of repentance is a change of mind. Well, I can intellectually play that game too. Yep, what I did was wrong. New topic. <laughs> yep, what I did was wrong. Cool, let's move on. I can reduce faith to a mere intellectual exercise, a mere thought game. I can reduce repentance to a mere thought game. But neither is authentic. So again, as we open the box and look, what is the anatomy of real repentance? The first thing, letter A on your outline, it leads to salvation. There is certainly a criticality of that initial repentance. We come to faith in Christ when we repent of our sins and trust him as savior. Paul told the church, the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts 20, when I was with you, I held back nothing that was profitable, but spoke to you of repentance and faith. Those are the things that are profitable. But the life of the believer is not a life that looks back at a moment of repentance somewhere in the past, though we praise God that he has made us his own by repentance and faith. The life of the believer is to be a life of, of what I call sort of rolling repentance. Because this, this tendency toward and this drag backward of sin are with us until we see Jesus face to face. And our ongoing response to our ongoing sin is an ongoing life of repentance. Or if we are stubborn and defensive and unwilling to repent, it's a life of growing isolation. So it leads to salvation. The life of the believer is a life of repentance. Letter B on your outline. Now we get to the characteristics of repentance in the text. First, earnestness. And I'm just going to pull words right out of verse 11. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Earnestness. What is that? That is when I shed my indifference regarding my sin and its consequences. It's when I stop saying my sin is no big deal. It's when I stop excuse making. Well, you know, I was just born like this. This is just who I am. That sort of indifference toward your own sin demonstrates that your repentance is not authentic. We can excuse make. I had a student ask me this week um, in, in, in Bible class, uh, did I believe, and he named a particular sin, did I believe that that particular sin is something that people are born with? And I said, I said my young brother, um, all sin is something we're born with. You can't name a sin that is not part of our inheritance as a fallen child of Adam. So should the geneticists ever find that this particular tweak in your DNA makes you prone to grow up and be an arsonist or grow up and be a thief? or grow up and be a racist, or grow up and be a sexual deviant? Should the geneticists ever find that in the DNA, then they will scratch and claw their way to the top of the mountain of truth. And when they get up there, they're gonna find the theologians holding Romans 5 saying, we knew it all along. Glad to see you catch up. 
But earnestness, repentance, doesn't make excuses. It breaks before the truth of a holy God. Earnestness. What earnestness? What vindication? Now, I have, I've substituted that word for a set of words in your, in your ESV. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves. I've used the single word vindication on your outline. It's, it's the desire to clear things up and make things right. It's not, again, defensiveness or deceit. Real repentance wants, I, 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 I want the people around me to know I love Jesus. Not for my glory. My glory's not worth a, a, a pile of dirt. But that they would know what Jesus can do. That they would see what Jesus is up to. That who I actually am as a new creature in Christ, the role to which I am appointed as a witness and an ambassador, that it would, that it would be vindicated, that it would ring true, that my, my own sin wouldn't get in the way of what I am most called to be. Yours shouldn't either. Vindication. Third, indignation. What indignation? <laughs> it's real, real easy for me. In fact, I find it nearly effortless to get indignant about your sin. I can go from zero to indignant faster than anybody you know when somebody else's sin is in view. That's not what this is. Okay, this is not a trick question. Whose sin, hmm, about whose sin am I most well informed? Whose sin do I know best? My own. I'm the, I am the problem. And if I'm stepping right over my sin to make certain I remain highly indignant about yours, let alone, well, it's just the culture today. The culture. The culture. How safe is that? How sterile is that? How costless is that I am grieved by the sin in our culture but the sin in our culture is not what's going to want to destroy my life my problem is the sin in Russell I said that in the first service and I was so proud of my wife that she did not amen I just I'm going to put that on the record in every service because oh, how easily she could. Because the second most affected by my sin person is, is Gail. I want to be indignant about sin. I want to be most indignant about my own sin. That's what real repentance does. The sin I hate most is the sin in me. Indignation. Are you indignant at your own sin? How, how comfortable are you 
with those pockets, those territories, those topics, those characteristics, those habits, those features of your life that you have walled off from the transforming power of God the Holy Spirit. You have decided that indignation of or regarding those sins and repentance of those sins is not a pressing priority. Repent. I call to you as your brother in Christ, repent. Indignation. <laughs> Letter E, fear. Fear. Wisdom begins when the Lord is feared as righteous judge. Proverbs 19.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, I know it's the kindness of God that calls us to repentance. And I am so grateful for the, the fact that the living God has made those of us who have followed Christ his children and that our Abba Father invites us into his loving presence and fellowship. But if you're not afraid of him, you don't know him. Our approach to him is never casual and our regarding of him is not casual. He is God. friend of mine was once in a debate with, a, with a, I think, an unbeliever, and the uh, unbeliever said, I just don't understand all the differences between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is so, is so wrathful, and he does things like collapse the sea on people and open up caverns and send poisonous snakes into the camp, and, and the God of the, the New Testament is just all sweet. It doesn't even sound to me like it could be the same God, and my friend reminded his opponent in that debate that Jesus Christ is going to throw the switch on hell. Do not mischaracterize God as someone to not be feared. And I am so glad when my life begins to drift and some sin characteristic takes hold. Praise God when all else fails, there is the outright fear of a righteous judge. Not, there's nothing wrong with that. Perfect love casts out fear. I don't love perfectly yet. When I get there, I suspect I'll find that to be true. <laughs> Meanwhile, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Letter F, longing. What longing, says the text. This is wanting things to be better going forward. My sin creates problems. It, it tangles up my prayer life. Have you ever had a sin in your life you're kind of just cuddling and you try to pray about something else? Ooh, I have found the living God is not fond of it when I try to change the subject. And I find out my prayers are just kind of flat and hollow and it's as though God the Spirit is saying, when you want to have the real conversation, I'll be right here. But until you do, you just keep on talking to yourself if that's making you feel good. And same thing in my relationships with people. Most of the relationship issues I have had with other people are contributed to, aggravated, or straight up caused by my own sin. And I bet it's true for you. Not all. Sometimes it's the sin of somebody else. But even then, our sinful response to the sin of somebody else can just muddy it up even further. We long for a better way forward. Longing. 
Letter G, zeal, zeal. Burning enthusiasm. The word zeal has as its root a word that, that means fire. Burning enthusiasm to oppose my own wrongdoing. Praise God for prophetic voices that speak out against sin. Praise God for confrontation of sin in our world. Those are good things. But we must not step right over our zeal to confront the sin that remains in us. Real repentance zealously turns us against our own sin that we would repent. Punishment, interesting choice of words. The idea here is the just desire to see things made right. The just desire for restitution and restoration. It is the opposite of defensiveness. When we repent, God the Father's forgiveness is immediate. When we repented at the point of our salvation, the, the just requirements of God for eternity were met. But the relationship issue is that life of rolling repentance. And in our relationships with each other, we can be forgiven immediately. But, but we still will find at times, well, if I borrow my neighbor's lawnmower and destroy it and say to him as I return his destroyed lawnmower, dude, I am so sorry that happened. Have a nice day. No. Punishment here means real repentance is, dude, um, I think you and I both know I fouled up your lawnmower pretty bad. Uh, I'm going, I'm, I'm on my way to Lowe's now. What kind of lawnmower would you like? I did it. I've repented. I am passionate about making it right. That's what he means here. That, that, that desire to fix what I can. That's the anatomy of real repentance. Those things will be present when repentance is not just an intellectual game. What is the aftermath of real repentance? What does it look like in its wake? I, I, I love this. Um, first, it looks like restoration. The rest of verse 11. At every point, you have proven yourselves innocent in the matter. He doesn't mean that when you were confronted, you built some flimsy defensive case and wow, I was wrong to confront you. You were innocent in the matter. Oh no, quite the opposite. It means you dealt with it. You've restored it. You've made it right. Repentance is restorative. Denial is destructive. You've made it right. Restoration. Be revelation. It's, a, it's an elaborate sentence that, that comes through in verse 12. I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered wrong, but here's what I want you to see. Most of what was going on, in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you. To you. When I have in me an authentic desire to truly repent, that assures me that God is at work in here. When I can just walk on from my sin, I have reason to doubt the Lord's love for me or my love for him. It reveals to us. Pastor Howard, I, I, I sometimes doubt my salvation because I struggle with sin. 
Brother keeps struggling. Doubt your salvation when you capitulate to sin without it grieving you. The struggle with sin, if I read Romans 7 right, is a characteristic of the life of the most awesome growing Christian in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. Hmm. Letter C and D, I'll combine this rejoicing and refreshing. That's the, that's the impact on others when I repent. I had bragged about you guys to Titus and I had bragged to Titus about you guys and, and now because you have repented, there is, there is both restoration, I mean rejoicing and refreshing, both words that are used in verse 13. Repentance has cleared the air. Defensiveness does the opposite, right? I didn't do anything wrong. Repentance clears the air. If you're right now in a conflict in your family, I mean the people you share a house with, your immediate family, spouse, kids, I invite you to consider your role in that conflict. Repent of it and let them see you repent. Well, they'll think I'm weak and they'll run over me. I guess that's a risk. It's a fallen world. But I'll bet you the effect will be restoration and refreshment. Rejoicing. And then finally, relationships. These last few verses speak of how growing and fertilized now the relationship is between Titus and Paul and the church and Titus and the church and Paul. The whole thing is just working better because relationships work better in an atmosphere of repentance. We don't want to do it. We want to hate our own. No, we want to love our sin. You know, a quick Bible quiz and I'm done. Quick Bible quiz. True or false? King David is called in the Bible. In fact, in both the Old and New Testaments, true or false, he is called a man after God's own heart. True. True. True or false? King David was both an adulterer and a quite cold-blooded murderer. True or false? True. True or false, adultery and murder are two of the big 10. Also true, a man after God's own heart shattered dramatically two of the big 10. Probably got around to most of the rest of them too in the course of his life. How in the world is someone who sins so big a man after God's own heart? He repented bigger. He sinned big. He repented bigger. His account of his repentance is probably the clearest picture of repentance in the Old Testament. And I'll, uh, I'll go through that in Psalm 51 this week on Beyond the Notes. This morning, the call to you from the pages of God's Word and the voice of God, the Holy Spirit, repent! If you don't know Jesus, repent and be born again. Don't make it a head game you play where you simply say, yep, I'm a sinner. Yep, I'm a sinner. 
I've never met anyone who won't admit they're a sinner. I've been telling people about Jesus in various settings for a lot of years. I've never had a single person look me in the eye and say, I'm not a sinner. I've never experienced it. Maybe there are people out there that would. Nobody has any problem admitting they're a sinner, at least in my experience. Piece of cake, of course I'm a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. Repent! That's the hurdle. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, heaven and hell turn on your repentance and faith response to the gospel of Jesus Christ for you. Repent. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, but you've settled into a pattern of denial or defensiveness regarding your own sin, be free of that. May we be a people among whom repentance comes readily, if not easily that our relationship with God may be growing and fruitful and that our relationships with each other may be honest and truly loving. Equal yoking, as we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, gives us the freedom to call one another to repentance. No one that I'm unequally yoked with ever called on me to repent. Lots and lots of people who are following, along, following Jesus alongside me have been used of God in my life to say, Russell, you need to tune that up. That'd be a good thing for you to repent of. Again, we're talking about the same th stuff for three weeks in a row now. Repentance in each other and encouraging each other to repentance is a characteristic of that equal yoke. Okay.